0: just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Earth Keepers podcast. For those of us in the United States, Thanksgiving Day is two days away, and the energy around this particular holiday is complicated. As children, we were told a simple story about the pilgrims who'd arrived at Plymouth Rock in 1620 and, after a difficult first year in the New World, gathered together to celebrate their first harvest with the local Indigenous people. But as with most of the colonial settlement stories in this country, many of the details were lost or erased as the decades and centuries passed. As Grace Donnelly wrote in a 2017 piece for Fortune, The celebration in 1621 did not mark a friendly turning point and did not become an annual event. Relations between the Wampanoag and the settlers deteriorated, leading to the Pequot War. In 1637, in retaliation for the murder of a man the settlers believed the Wampanoags killed, the settlers burned a nearby village, killing as many as 500 men, women, and children. Following the massacre, William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, wrote that for the next 100 years, every Thanksgiving day ordained by a governor was in honor of the bloody victory, thanking God that the battle had been won. So only 16 years after that first Thanksgiving feast together, the Wampanoag were massacred. And that is how the Thanksgiving tradition actually began. Many Native Americans now refer to Thanksgiving Day as a day of mourning, a day to honor ancestors and the struggles to survive that still continue to this day. However, in an article in Time magazine, Sean Sherman, a member of the Oglala Lakota Sioux tribe, does offer some new ways to observe it. He says, the thing is, we don't need the poisonous pilgrims and Indians narrative. We do not need that illusion of past unity to actually unite people today. Instead, we can focus simply on values that apply to everybody. Togetherness, generosity, and gratitude. And we can make the day about what everyone wants to talk and think about anyway. The food. He goes on to say, people may not realize it, but what every person in this country shares and the very rich history of this nation has been in front of us the whole time. Most of our Thanksgiving recipes are made with indigenous foods. Turkey, corn, beans, pumpkin, maple, wild rice, and the like. We should embrace this. So as you plan your feast, consider buying food or other goods from Native American growers in your area. I also suggest the book Renewing America's Food Traditions, Saving and Savoring the Continent's Most Endangered Foods, to learn more about the histories, recipes, and folk traditions surrounding the Native foods in each region of the United States. Personally, I have two Thanksgiving traditions I honor, outside of sharing food and gratitude with friends and family. First, I always find time to honor the water in my community with a ceremony. I'll visit the nearby river or lake, sharing offerings and my thanks, and any energy work that may be requested then I make monetary donations to 2 nonprofit organizations, one run by and supporting Native American communities and one supporting water protection in my own community. However, in what was quite obviously guidance from the ancestors on the land where I now live, I just happened to listen to a podcast episode while preparing this episode that shared another opportunity to give back to the Native communities whose land we now live on. On the November 11th episode of the For the Wild podcast, I heard an interview with Karina Gould, who's been preserving and protecting the ancient burial sites of her Ohlone ancestors in California's Bay Area for decades. She discussed the efforts of many non-federally recognized tribes to get even small pieces of land back, and that when they do, there are no resources to do any reclamation or restoration work with the land to make it available for use. So there's a growing movement by many tribes to offer a land tax. That is, to create a reciprocal relationship between the hosts and the guests on the land. Those of us who are not Indigenous to the place we now live can voluntarily support this tax with an annual or monthly contribution to show support and gratitude for the Native people hosting us on their lands. I've linked to as many of them as I could find in the show notes, including the Bay Area, Seattle, New York, and New Mexico. But do some research in your local area to find what opportunities there may be to honor both the people and the land with a monetary gift, if you feel so called. I think when we individually think about the idea of reparations or land reclamation in our country, it can feel much too large and difficult of a problem to resolve, and that we are too small to have an impact. But Karina shared so beautifully about people in her community who had reached out to her to say what can we do? And as it turned out, they had a two-acre nursery along a small waterway that had been traditionally used by the tribe, and they decided to donate three-quarters of an acre to the Ohlone people. That piece of land allowed them to create a land trust and have a place for the first time in over 200 years that belonged collectively to the people where they could cultivate native plants and hold their ceremonies. Three-quarters of an acre. That's all that was needed to start the land trust. And on the Manhattan Fund website, they suggest starting with a gift of $24 a month to recognize the $24 paid by the colonizing Europeans for the entirety of Manhattan Island. For many of us, these are small actions that can add up to a big impact, not just financially, but culturally, emotionally, and spiritually for everyone involved. My personal interest in education on many of these issues began as I started working energetically with the land. As I would do property readings for land all over the world, but especially here in the US, the ancestors on that land would come to me again and again to show me how they had lived in the area, and in some cases, how they had been removed and killed. And time and again after these readings, I would go look up the settlement history of these communities and find. So much of it had been minimized, whitewashed, or completely erased. It pained me to see how much of the story was collectively missing. And the pain wasn't just energetic, it was physical. These spirits were showing me through my body what they endured for generations. And the depths of that pain is unimaginable. And that pain is still being held deep in the land. Whether we know it or not, it is affecting us all of us. That's why I've included this work in the Earth Tenders Academy. First, to learn the settlement story of the area where you live, the real story. And then to take some time to learn about the stories and culture of the Indigenous people there. Because those are the stories and the people that the land knows. And if you're going to work with the land, you're going to meet the ancestors. So it's helpful if you have at least a bit of a context about their experiences. So let me tell you about an experience I had with the ancestors of the land in southern Utah when I visited the area a couple of years ago, because this is how all of the pieces can come together when you go from just sensing an issue on the land to actually working with the ancestors to find a resolution. I was driving myself from Montana to southern Nevada with just a few hours to go on the 16-hour drive when I was suddenly hit with a huge wave of emotion. I kind of looked around thinking there might be somehow an explanation for this feeling, but before I could really tune in, I started to get very nauseous. Then I was hit with sharp, stabbing pain in the side of my head. I was quite literally in the middle of nowhere in southern Utah. I wasn't even sure what kind of energy I could be picking up. So I turned the radio off, tried my best to ground my energy, but kept driving because there wasn't anywhere to pull over. As I tried to get any information about what was happening, the lightning bolt-like shocks kept hitting me in the head. Suddenly, a very angry cloud spirit came to me. I took a moment to double-check that the information I was receiving was correct, since I tend to sense things more than I can see them. I told him how he was appearing to me, like a big angry cloud spirit, and asked if that was how he had intended to show himself. Because... On occasion, a spirit won't quite realize how they look or feel to us. But no, this dude definitely wanted to intimidate me, and he wanted me to leave. I let him know I was just passing through and I would be gone soon. But the nausea and head zapping continued. The spirit seemed to want me to simultaneously get the heck out of there, but also to pull over and stop the car. But there were no exits for a few more miles. So I kept driving while drenching myself in white Angelica essential oil, which eased the discomfort a bit. Thank goodness I'd had it handy in my cup holder. And as a side note, this oil blend literally calls in the angels for protection. It's the best for protecting yourself against icky energy. Anyhow, as soon as I saw an exit, I pulled over, closed my eyes, and took some deep breaths. I drank a bunch of water and tried to get more information, but there was nothing. I mean, seriously, Cloud Spirit? What do you want? No response. Alrighty then. I started feeling just a bit better, so I hopped back on the interstate and hurried down the road. Within about 20 minutes or so, I felt perfectly fine. And then I could sense it behind me. It looked like an energetic curtain or wall, almost like a security system that I had triggered when I drove through. I really wasn't sure what the deal was, but... It also didn't really feel like it was any of my business at that point, and the spirits there hadn't asked me to do anything, so I really didn't give it much thought for the next week. But when I returned through the area on my way back home, I could see it coming. There was the most ominous black wall of clouds straight ahead of me, and I realized I was right back in the same area, Scipio, Utah. I took some video on my Instagram stories. You can actually still see them in my highlights. And I'll be darned if there wasn't an actual angry cloud spirit that I could see as I drove closer. And it let me know how it felt about my presence once again, not happy. It was one of the most intense storms I have ever driven through. The wind was blowing so hard, it was all I could do to stay on the road. The nausea and the headache returned. I still couldn't get any specific messages about what was happening with the energy there. So I called out for protection to carry me through safely and suddenly there they were. Two hawks circling overhead in this crazy wind and hailstorm. Thank you, spirit. I decided I would just keep driving until I felt okay and then pull off at the first exit I saw after that. It turned out to be exit two, two, two. Ha. Thank you, angels. While I stopped to catch my breath, I posted some additional Instagram stories and asked if anyone else wanted to tune into the cloud spirit to see if they could get any messages because I wasn't getting much of anything. Later that evening, I got the most remarkable email from a blog reader and client named Heather who saw my stories. Her dad grew up in this area and she had lived there for a few years as a child. And did she have some stories to tell? Scipio, Mantee, and Sanpete County in general were significant sites during the Black Hawk War between the Mormon settlers and as many as 16 different Native tribes between 1865 and 1872. These Native tribes were led by a local Ute war chief named Antonga Black Hawk. Whoa, I guess that would explain the Hawk escort I got in the storm. There were over 150 battles, skirmishes, and raids in this area before the federal government intervened to end the war. In the years leading up to the war, the settlers built forts to protect themselves and often attacked any native person they encountered, uncertain if they were hostile or friendly. The tribes retaliated against settlement in their ancestral hunting and foraging areas by often taking thousands of head of livestock that were out to graze as payment for use of their land. These activities lasted for 15 years, with many smaller raids and casualties on both sides. The actual war began on April 8, 1865, when Ute representatives, including Black Hawk, met with settlers in the town of Manti in an attempt to settle a variety of differences. But they could not come to an agreement, tempers flared, Chief Arapine put an arrow in his bow, and one of the settlers grabbed him by the hair and dragged him from his horse. The chief was badly beaten before the two men were pulled apart. Two days later, the Utes retaliated by ambushing a small group of settlers outside Mantee, killing one man. Over the next seven years, many men, women, and children on both sides died in a series of massacres and battles throughout the area. Black Hawk himself was shot in the stomach during the Scipio raid and the Battle of Gravelly Ford in 1866, an injury that never fully healed before his death a few years later. Could that have been the reason I felt so nauseous driving through the area? Nearly 50 years after Black Hawk died, his grave was robbed and the remains given to the LDS Church, who displayed them in their museum until 1996, at which point an act of Congress, an archaeologist, and a Boy Scout worked together to return him to the area where he'd been originally buried. So to say there had been significant trauma and conflict in this area would be an understatement but here's the even crazier coincidence. The location of this fateful meetup in Mantee that started the war, it's the exact location of my client Heather's father's childhood home. Yeah, she is a descendant of those Mormon settlers, and when her father was a child, his family home was still within the walls of the old fort. At some point, the local school district purchased it from his parents, and it's now the site of the elementary school in Mantee. What's even more strange is that my friend and fellow healer Omar and I had teamed up to work with Heather on her current home and land in Colorado, where there were many layers of energies present that needed healing work. One of the messages Omer received during a session was that there was some ancestral karma related to Native Americans that was still connected to and causing issues for Heather and her extended family. We didn't have any details as to the specifics, but we worked on doing our part of the healing work and then gave her family instructions on how to continue clearing this karma going forward. Two weeks after we finished working with them, I just happened to drive right through San Pete County, completely unaware of the significance to Heather and her family. Never mind my own ancestral ties to the Mormon settlement in Utah and Idaho. I mean, whoa. But... This is exactly why doing ancestral healing work is so important, not only to our day-to-day lives now, but also to the energies present in the land. The pain and trauma of those years is still so clearly present in that location. Just driving down the interstate in the area was painful to me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced that there. Heather gave me permission to share this story with you, and While I won't share any of the personal details, I can say that her family has experienced some significant shifts as a result of the work we all did together. It's so incredible that we had the opportunity to learn about this additional puzzle piece. Heather's father had no idea of the significance of where he'd grown up until she discussed it with him, although he does recall seeing native spirits roaming the town as a child. She's also repeatedly had dreams of a house she'd never visited and has now confirmed through discussions with her father that it was the home he grew up in. The memories have been passed down through the generations and were still present today in the family and in the land, even though the family members had never heard the stories from their ancestors who likely had had direct experience with the Black Hawk War. But what did this all have to do with me? I mean, I love getting confirmation after doing energy work, but I never expect it it's just super cool when it happens. However, this seemed like a bit more than just confirmation from spirit. After I got back home and rested a bit, I sat down to tune into this area and see what I could find out. I cleared the energy in my space and then looked over the essential oils in my office to see which one I should work with, and it immediately jumped out at me. Forgiveness. Yep, in case you're wondering, there is an oil for that. So I sat down, put a drop in my hands, rubbed them together, and inhaled deeply. I opened my eyes, wrote Scipio Utah at the top of my notebook page, and suddenly it started hailing hard. It seemed the cloud spirit was back and wanted to participate. Once I settled back in, a native man on a horse approached me. I don't know if it was Black Hawk. He didn't give me a name, and I'm not sure that it was important in that moment. He motioned for me and my Bigfoot guide to sit down in ceremony with him and acknowledge the amount of pain still present in that area. He then lit a ceremonial pipe and passed it to each of us. I asked how I could be of service, and he said that he and the other spirits present in the area that I drove through were doing their best to get my attention. Yeah, okay guys, it totally worked. He explained that the pain in the area is so intense that it would be difficult to do the work necessary while I was physically present there, and that the Native people and Mormon settlers have now had this collective trauma woven together into a fabric that's embedded in the land. It can't just be removed. Their stories are forever entwined. And the ancestors of that time have carried the trauma forward into many generations, now spread far and wide. It's different from a curse on the land. This is layers upon layers of anger and hurt. The clouds and the weather have been called upon to help hold this energy in place. I asked what we could do about it, and he asked me to call an ancestor of the Mormon settlers forward. When he appeared, the two men embraced and shared the ceremonial pipe And then he joined our circle as well. It felt like the first step in reconciling the energy in the area. But then they turned their attention back to me, which is pretty unusual when I do this work. They explained that they called me specifically because I've done this work for many generations and many lifetimes. They say that I know the land and I know the people and I can bring everyone together to help broker peace. And I suddenly saw a vision of myself, looking nothing like I do in this lifetime, walking with a little leather bag from town to town, going where I'm called to do this work. That was the first time I'd understood my role in these healing ceremonies. Although I'd had similar experiences in many of the property readings I've done where I simply hold space for healing work between the Native people, the land, and the settlers. So maybe they were right. If so, I'm deeply honored to have the ability to continue to do this work in this lifetime. But I know I'm not the only one being called to this healing work. There are many of us currently in human form who act as a bridge between the dimensions, doing the work in the ethereal, but grounding it into the physical, where we can begin to have true reconciliation as these layers of pain and trauma are lifted from the earth. If it's calling to you, I would love to have you join me in the Earth Tenders Academy. You'll learn how to hold space in the spirit world for these ceremonies and many other methods of doing healing work with the land. This work is so, so needed in the world and more healers are always being called. So come join us and before the end of November, don't forget, you'll get 20% off the price of the course. I also have something else fun to share with you this week. This Friday, November 27th at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, I'll be hosting a training in the following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook called Earth's Invitation, working with sacred places in nature. I don't know about you, but throughout this year, I've done a lot more exploring right in my own backyard. Without the ability to travel further away, I've been more curious about the places nearby my home that I may have overlooked in the past. It's been through those explorations that I spent the month of June connecting with the Bigfoot elders in an old-growth forest. I found a hidden little lake where I spent many hot summer days floating in the cool water all by myself. And I'm now doing some deep energy work with locations I'd never been to before all around Flathead Lake, which is a dominant feature on the landscape here. We tend to think of sacred places as being far-flung locations around the world that we'd have to take a pilgrimage to visit. Mount Shasta or Machu Picchu or Stonehenge, for example. But there are sacred trees, stones, caves, valleys, mountains, and waters literally all over the earth. Many have been forgotten or just waiting for the right person to notice them and ask to work together. Whether you'd like to find a place like this to work with, or you already know a spot in your community, but you're not quite sure what to do with it now that you've found it, come join me for this training on Friday. I'll be sharing about how to approach these places with honor and respect, letting their hidden magic begin to unfold. We'll talk about the different types of sacred places in nature, how to find a sacred place in your community to befriend, what types of places that you shouldn't visit, and how to respectfully explore a sacred place, and what to expect after you visit a sacred place. There's a link to the event in the show notes, but be sure to click going on Facebook so They'll remind you when the event begins and get excited because this is all connected to the special something I have for you this weekend. So be sure to join me on Friday and then keep your eyes open for my emails. And before I sign off for the week, let me take a moment to share my heartfelt gratitude for each and every one of you who's been along on this journey with me. I know the information I'm sharing through this podcast is channeling through me to assist each of you on your own journey. But know that you're doing the same for me. Your comments and emails and DMs ping things in my own knowing, helping me to remember too. So thank you. Have a beautiful week full of appreciation and gratitude wherever in the world you are. And I hope to see you on Friday.